You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melding pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Shauna. I help connect tech companies with top tech talent. And today I'm your host. Welcome back to another Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by three senior leaders within the Sydney technology industry, where we will be discussing the subtopic, the actual topic of how to maintain engineering culture when growing at scale. And we're going to cover areas such as... um, what changes need to be made to make culture sustainable for a bigger company when scaling? Legends versus challengers um, and other really important subtopics like collaboration, learning and trust in that journey as well. Um, so before we get started, I think it'd be really nice if we could all introduce ourselves um, and get familiar with the panelists today. So let's start with Kate, if you don't mind, if you could introduce yourself. Yeah, hi, I'm Kate. I'm based in Melbourne. I work today as head of engineering in Zero. Have been here for three years. Um, before that, being the CTO of a startup in the food tech industry. And my whole career is around the tech, um, being studied as engineer myself and grown into leadership position later on. Amazing. Thanks so much, Kate. Um, awesome. So thanks. And we'll move on to Stephen, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah. Hi, I'm Steve. Uh, I'm GM of Engineering at Cash Awards. Uh, so I've been here for about a year. Uh, we're a startup scaling up uh, pretty rapidly. Uh, so pretty um, pertinent topic. Uh, and I've been in um, IT for about 20 years, uh, starting as an engineer and, you know, doing the consulting and all that sort of stuff. So I really love it. And, you know, it's been a really uh, different kind of step for me, but it's been great. Amazing journeys. I can't wait to hear about that. Um, And last, but absolutely not least, Dinesh, can you introduce yourself, please? Thank you. Um, (laughs) Hi, I'm Dinesh. Uh, I'm an engineer, architect, leader. I've been around um, software uh, for about 17 years and I absolutely love it. Um, currently, I am head of engineering at Evermed. We're an early stage startup in the health tech space. Um, we're basically an e-commerce platform for prescription medication home delivery, um, just essentially enabling people to maintain their sort of prescription wallet and stay on top of their meds while not having to step physically into a pharmacy. Um, uh, we're, we're quite early stage now, but you know I've been on the journey um, from uh, while companies have been scaling up at a number of places, I've worked at World Nomads, which is a travel insurance startup, went on to be acquired by health, uh, NIB Health Funds. Uh, I've been at Rocked um, uh, at a sort of pivotal growth phase from 2018 to 2020. Um, I've re- recently been at Elmo, a, cl- a cloud HR and payroll company as well. So, um, yeah, so I think I've, I've seen that sort of scaling up phase uh, a few times in different capacities. Um, and right now I'm sort of exploring the v- really early stage um, part of that journey. Um, and it's kind of interesting and curious to, to know and learn about, you know, that challenge from, from everyone on the panel. Yes, amazing. Thanks so much, Nesh. It's an absolute pleasure to have you all, guys. Um, so let's dive into our first subtopic. Um, and I thought it would be good to jump into Dinesh's first subtopic, which you brought two. And the first one is, I think it makes sense, is defining your culture. Um, so if you want to start there and kind of dig into sort of the, the context around that and we can start yeah. off. Absolutely. Um, 
I think I, I think it makes sense what, when we're talking about culture that you know we should try and define what it is that we're talking about. Um, it's culture. Culture can mean so many different things to so many people, and you know I think that um, uh, when you when you're in a startup um, and and you're very small, it's quite an organic thing. Like you intimately know everyone else in your team in your company. You're all aligned towards this one goal because it's it's very small at this point. Um, the number of web of um, communication relationships that you need to maintain are very small. Um, but at some point, it starts to become bigger and you, you know, like, I'm, I guess I'm wondering at, at, at what point do you actually start sort of giving shape to your culture? Is it just a thing that forms and, and everyone just knows, um, you know, what it is, what, what it is that you that you stand for as a company, as a group of people? Um, or is there a point, is there a key point where you start needing to sort of write it down, if you will, and yeah. kind of define it, and especially as, as you grow and more people join the company and you need to make, you know, kind of key hiring decisions around who is the best fit for your team? Um, so I am curious about that formalizing process. Um, yeah, like uh, I, I um, yeah, that that's my question. So you know, I might put it out to you guys, yeah. and then and then you know, come back with some of some of my thoughts on it as well. But um, what do you what do you guys think? Like, where at what point do you start doing that? Do you think? Um, Dinesh, when you nail that, you can stop doing anything else and focus on that. Well, definitely, it's an excellent question. I think a lot, you know, when you start a startup, you know, it's like people are coming with a lot of passion and everyone is doing everything, right? No clear, you know, it's it's not about stepping on each other's toes. You just, you know, there's plenty to do, very little hand, few hands. And you just have to do it. And, and then, you know, gradually, when you're successful, you start dragging more and more resources into the org. And then they bring in their own values. Because at the end of the day, a culture yes. will be defined by, you know, the beliefs and principles and the behaviors of the people. Yep. So no doubt, you know, the, the first two or three will have very impact. The four will, will have, you know, an additional impact. And it will start evolving. And now I think it's very much up to the leadership to actually do exactly what you're saying. And, and I think very few do bother to do it or have even the capacity to understand that it's time to do it. To say, hey, actually, what are the guidelines? Yep. I mean, besides getting something to the customer yes. <laughs> uh, at the yep. door, you know, what do we really care about? What is driving us? And I think some will be really good at it and find, think about it when there are two or five people. Some will just start to think it when they are 50 or, or 200. Mm, yes. Um, it's very, I don't think there's a good definition. I think, I think though, that if you are mindful of it in the really early stages, mm. it will make a whole of a difference. That's um, quite, quite interesting you say that. Um, when I joined uh, Rocked, that was, uh, it was a company of uh, maybe just about a hundred or so people. And it was, I joined as a, as a head of engineering there and one of our kind of early um, sort of roles as, an, as a leadership team was to, to contribute to that definition of um, the values, the mission. The, um, and I was, I was a bit surprised that, oh, okay, we've gone this far and, you know, it, it hasn't been done. I mean, it's just that, um, uh, like you say, when you're, when you're a startup and you're just focused on growing and meeting the, the needs of the customer, it, it, it's all feels secondary. Um, it, it can just be left by, but, but then, you know, like, I wonder if that itself is 
culture or is culture more than that? You know, is, is it values? Is it mission statements? Is it vision? Is it, um, kind of really nice things that go up on a wall, you know, in a, you know, on a poster kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the, what you said there around, you know, what is it is really important. And if you don't focus on what it is that you want, cause it's just a word, right. Yeah. And you know, there's so much focus on, oh, we've got a good culture. And like, what does that actually mean? <laughs> we've been thinking about that since we spoke about, since talking to John about this. I'm like, actually, I don't know. What does that actually mean? Like, yeah. what are you doing to, you know, and if you haven't got focus on what you're trying to achieve, then, well, how are you going to get there, right? You've, you've got to yeah. have, like, a clear view of what you think culture is and, you know, what are the things that are going to uh, make this a good culture and why, and then you can focus on those things and then you can kind of figure out, you know, what can you do to make that better or, you know, drive that kind of culture? You can let yeah. it grow organically and, you know, certainly people come in and bring their own thing. But as you said, the hiring is really important as well because the people do define it to a certain degree. And, you know, if you bring the wrong people in, it can definitely go very south very quickly. And, you know, ha- having a clear view on what you want to achieve and the type of people that you want is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you do bring your the culture um from the from the previous places that you've worked and, and your own values into into the mix and um like yeah if you if it, at the start as you say kate like each person has a very large um incremental impact and obviously that slightly dilutes as time goes on because the team grows um but those so it's kind of it's kind of this uh chicken and egg where the people who have the most impact are coming in at a time when you have not quite defined what that culture is and you're just hoping that the the, the right mix of inputs <laughs> will, will go into the melting pot um whereas as you get as you get on later um you know and you've defined things more clearly you're all, you're now hiring people you know who are coming into a more established environment and and you know hopefully sort of bring a little bit of their own but then also mold into the culture that they they find themselves in um yeah but it's it's interesting that you 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 know like yeah I mean I feel like you could also be too premature in trying to define it um, at an early at, at an early stage you're probably uh, just happy to find good candidates I think um, especially in the kind of environment we're in it's- yeah yeah Dinesh you're so right and you know also thinking about thinking about startups it's it's you know I think the profile of many of the founders that are very young. And we grow, you know, we grow our principles and what's important for us as we go. Okay. We, you know, you don't know what you know on your first five years of your career, like what you know after (laughs) 10 or 15, right? So these things will evolve and adjust. Some principles will be, if you're really good, you'll have strong values that can carry you for a long time. Um, and, and yeah, you're, you need to be very lucky because at the end of the day, a startup will succeed or fail not as much as the value that they bring to customer, but the teamwork. Yeah. If the teamwork is not where you, you, not good, you can have the most awesome idea. It, it just you you wouldn't get anywhere. You you would struggle to scale, and you struggle even to find your way. You know, out to some investors or something else. No, that's mm. fair enough. I think that's that's very true. Um, I, I think the founder um, or the founders that the very the first you know people who have the seed idea, they they go they go. Um, a long way in shaping it. Um, uh, I, I know that our found our founder James Sanders. He's got um, uh, he's got a very calming influence on the team. 
and um, uh, and and he prizes um, contributions from everyone, right? Like like even even though you might have a particular role, um, it's sort of you you pick up whatever you can do, and there's no job too uh, too out of your you know job description if you like kind of thing. And I think that's helping us to shape some of our values in in that sense. Um, uh, we've got to be cross-functional. We've got to be um, kind of filling each other's gaps, if you will. And, I, and I'm really hoping that that's something that we can kind of continue to to build on as, as we grow. Um, but yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I think, I think of all the things, I think values is a, is a really important thing to be able to articulate. I think that's really key. At least, at least I feel like that's the starting point and then maybe other aspects of your culture can come later on. So, yeah, absolutely. I think actually I'm just thinking of all the startups that I've worked with and us evolution, you know, we're, we're, you know, pretty much like a startup probably about eight years ago, nine years ago now. And I've been here like seven. So we've, sat down and defined our values, um, our culture. And a lot of the, the, the teams and so on that I've seen have done that successfully. It kind of does a full circle and it does sort of like you guys have all individually brought up customer needs met first. But I think if you take your culture back to understanding what those needs are and you kind of, you know, you embed that, um, the, the needs of and, the, and the, um, the problem that you're solving and you're passionate about the customer side of it then it kind of like that those values kind of embed then all the way through the team and the business as well um if it kind of does like a full circle if you find like that you'll see a lot of the tech teams will have customer centric mm. or something you know customer focused in their values um, <laughs> yeah it kind of yeah. is like the end goal isn't it and you kind of mm. like bring it back then to culture um mm. i don't know if that's something that you've you've all re- seen I, I think that's a fair point. Like it's obviously a, a, a very um, a recurring value that comes up in a lot of places, and I think that that is that is a core tenet. I think pretty much no company can go wrong if they have customers at the center. I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think also, it's uh, by the way, this is not just for the customers. This is also for the, the you know like be a northern staff of your people. Yes, people yeah. also would now like now to be go to a workplace where they have some, you know, they could identify with a purpose. So mm-hmm. if they just come to, you know, to get more money into the bank, this is not very motivating. But if there's some user value, it's easier to to, to get their exactly. buy-in. And I just want to, you know, like Steve, you mentioned the, you know, customer um, obsession, which is uh, AWS, for example, one of their principles, which is really important, I think, to see. This one, you know, what the thing that I don't like as much with that wording is that it allows other things that might not be, you know, like mm. we are customer obsessed, so it's okay for me to work 24-7 yeah. for a few months. Mm. Okay, where if my, or if you phrase it differently, where, you know, you know the customer is, uh, you know, we want to serve the customer, maybe it's not justifying some other things which are a part of the culture. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I think it's also about, it's not just, you know, just, it's a lot about the wording. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I definitely think like for that uh, customer focus or uh, outcome that we want to get, I mean, the people are the people who are going to bring it, like the team of the, you know, as you said, it's pretty important to get them on board. And I think if you start there with culture and, and getting the right uh, culture in place where people kind of feel comfortable mm-hmm. coming to work, they love coming to work, 
then that customer obsession or that customer uh, focus will just kind of come because, you know, that's yeah. going to be once they're happy with where they're working and everything's kind of good, then, you know, then they can focus outward onto other things and really be comfortable in delivering those sort of things. And, you know, I, for me, I think, you know, collaboration is really the key to that. Um, you know, we, we work with this, um, you know, autonomy is really important and it is from a system perspective, but from a working together and getting to know each other and, you know, really kind of connecting with each other, you, the more you collaborate, the more chance there is to kind of, you know, be working with your friend rather than, you know, just on your computer by yourself. And I think that collaboration is really kind of key to keep trying to drive as much as possible. And, you know, it gets hard with, as you grow, new people come and they change that a little bit and you've got to try and, you know, change the way you collaborate with something to, to make it fit yeah. kind of thing. But I think for me, that's really important. The collaboration piece is so important. And I think this is something which is relatively new. When I say new, I think the focus on that is only on the last like one or two decades. Mm-hmm. Because before that, our industry was a lot, you know, was actually championing uh, cowboys. You know, people who were really, you know, we have really intelligent and very skillful people. But they, a lot of time, you know, they would just, okay, just work by yourself. I don't know if there is a book called um, The Phoenix Project which is actually tells, I don't know if you had the chance to read, um, which is talking a lot about, you know, having some pockets of like these people who are like, they are so skillful and mindful, but, but and we just let them work by themselves, not necessarily collaborate. And what's the cause for the business for that yeah. culture? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I do think as well, um, you know, teams that are growing, it's almost like that, you know, people, when you hire them, that they fit the culture before even the skills. Because, you know, if someone's smart, they can learn. They can learn a technology. They can learn mm-hmm. a process and a skill. But if they haven't got the same values or, you know, principles, um, attitude, that's much harder to embed or change or learn than skills. Um, so I think probably what you said there, Dinesh, defining it earlier, it probably does make sense, doesn't it? <laughs> you, kind of, you, you embed it. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that that's so there you go. Definitely add that to my to do list then, and you know, better, <laughs> better um, get get going on that before we uh, we start growing furiously. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. That will probably take us on to the the next point that you made, Dinesh. This is brilliant. It's really interesting. Um, and I know you said these labels are deliberately provocative. Legends versus challengers. Um, tell us a bit about who are the legends and who are the challengers to begin with. And then this is a very interesting um, point. And, um, For sure. Um, yeah. You know, it actually kind of segues really well from Kate's point about um, our industry um, at, at various times prizing cowboys, if you will. Um, now, uh, that, that sort of... Uh, evokes the imagery of kind of uh, this individual contributor who who knows everything and is just sort of so reliant, uh, you know, the company's so reliant on this individual that um, it, they almost sort of uh, have this sort of big halo put around them. Um, that is kind of what I mean by what a legend is, you know, someone, um, it, it may not, it may not even have to be someone who is like a genius as such. It's just someone who's been there from the start and there's so much, um, legacy in their own minds, you know, that, that's sort of caught up. And so, so you have, you, I, I have found in a few places that this sort of 
um, gap begins to form between the core team, the people who've been there from, even if not the start, from very early stages, and then the rest, uh, which are called challengers, um, who come in a bit later with with a whole host of other experiences and knowledge. And, you know, they've obviously been hired for their um, uh, their track record and their experience. And now you've got this tension that forms. And I've seen it in a few places where um, – you know, it's it's sort of it sort of boils down to legacy versus new development, or um, how do you slot in the legends to who were probably used to working as individual contributors into functioning um, collaborative teams? How do you manage that knowledge transfer? Because um, you don't want to, if you can avoid it, you don't want to have to re-solve the same problems that the legends solved and. Um, are keeping in their heads in a sense like you know it's just not a natural tendency for us to have to try and write everything down um you know articulate it in a clear way for for new people to come through and you know learn back on so um i i'm wondering like as well for for you guys have you seen that happen have you seen that um sort of that that rift if you like form between a, a, a sort of an original, the originals and and new people that have been, that have, you know, come in and, and are trying their best to sort of fit in, solve new problems, et cetera. Yeah, I think, I think that's a pretty difficult problem because I know myself uh, being a, an engineer, yep. you've put your heart and soul into this for two or three years and then someone comes and says, no, nah, we're going to do it a different way. Yeah. It's yep. really, really hard to kind of, you know, and that, and that really sticks you into, well, we're not going to change anything. And you, you can't really do that, right? You've, you've yep. got to progress and stuff. So it is really hard to kind of um, tactfully kind of get people on board with change, especially when they've been doing the same thing for a long time. It's their baby and they don't want to let go kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I have also worked where it's all fresh people and everyone's happy to change everything. It yep. really is a lot easier. Um, but I guess, yeah, it's, it's, it's just very – I haven't been – you know, successfully uh, been able to sway people because obviously that um, that passion to that way of doing stuff is really strong. So it's really hard to to have a right balance there. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's one of the things. Like, it's like, how do you provide some level of safety for a newcomer to to challenge ideas? You know, yeah. uh, and and it's almost like uh, yes, yes, it's not supposed to be change for the sake of change, um, uh, or you know, because you, you, you've done things a certain way, and now you've come in and you want to imprint that again on the in, in a new organization. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think as a company, you're missing out on very valuable contributions if if you're ignoring the thoughts and ideas of you know people you've so carefully hired to, to form part of your team. Yeah. Um- you know, like Steve say, I think we've all been in both sides, mm. you know, being both the, new, the yeah. challengers and also <laughs> being in a place where maybe we were challenged. <laughs> I think for myself, you know, when I was in a position when, where I was challenged, yeah. I felt maybe on my, you know, when on my earliest stages of my career, a bit threatened, a bit, you know, vulnerable. Mm. Um, and I, I, you know, there was a particular time where I was in a place for a few years and it was really lovely, but, you know, as you know, uh, not everything is perfect. And then we mm. had I had a new colleague, and he was starting to challenging things and getting anyone everyone very upset. And I was like having good conversations with him and said, "Dude, you're just going. You want to revolutionize the whole thing." He said, "Yeah, this is not right," and so on. 
And later on, guess what? A new boss came to, into town and really changed things according to what he was saying. And not because he was actually influencing him, but because he was like someone new coming with good, fresh observations. Yeah. And and that was probably more right to do than where, the way we were acting. I think today, you know, after being a few, you know, journeys, I've learned to be more patient and more humble. Mm. You know, so I'm constantly challenging myself, you know, am I, you know, what I'm doing today, is it right or not? Yep. Uh, and even if I believe it's right, also make room for maybe there is something new and better, or maybe my, you know, someone has taken my cheese somewhere else and <laughs> I need to, to change now. So, and I think if you have that, then you might be in a better position to absorb new ideas and absorb feedback. Mm. And make sure, you know, the people that come new to your org, there is like a very precious time, yes. window, like two months or so, where they, you know, things that you got used to, and it's not right or, or you know, not very good, it will be very apparent to them. After two months, they'll just get used to it and just live with it. Yeah. But within yeah. this window, you know, this is an opportunity to hear and maybe do something about it. Absolutely. So I, I, in a way, what you're saying is like, you know, um, the, the, the legend should be their own challenger, if that makes sense. Right. And I, I feel like that is something yeah. I'd like I'd like to um, keep um uh, fresh in, in, in our organization as, as, as much as we can, which is to be able to continually, um, uh, uh, sort of question and reevaluate, uh, what it is that we're building and how we're building it. Are there better ideas? Are there like, if we can make sure that change is the constant, um, then hopefully we don't get to a point where, oh, that's too sacred to change. That's too risky to change. Um, you know, uh, we can't accept any new ideas just because, um, you know, it's too risky. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, if we can keep ideas fresh, um, then I think fresh ideas coming along through uh, new hires uh, will just feel feel like the natural course of things. I think it's uh, pretty important from a, again, from a kind of collaboration point of view to hear people out and follow their ideas. So follow the train of thought see through, uh, hey, what's going to happen if this happens, whatever, and really, like, honestly give people a chance because I think that kind of fosters that culture of being able to say stuff and not feel like, oh, no, you're, you're, you're not right. You, know, you don't know what you're talking about. You're too junior yeah. or you're, you're new here or whatever. Yeah. It's just how do you kind of make sure that everyone gets a voice to say, say their piece but you follow it through and go, okay, maybe that didn't work out this time but, you know, or, or it did and it's a really good idea and we should kind of continue following it. But I think without letting letting people talk through that and exploring that idea, you kind of shut things down and, and that's how it kind of stops. So it's really creating that environment for that to happen, I guess. Yeah, you know, Steve and Dinesh, what you're actually both saying is maybe the most essential thing that you should have in your culture is the trust and safety. Mm. Because mm. if you if you don't have that, then none of what you Steve saying, you know, would never happen. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And it's almost like um, nearly your responsibility to kind of create that environment. So from you guys all being sort of the, the true leaders to show that you're humble and that you're open to discussions. Um, but then I suppose it is also about getting the balance right as well, isn't it? How to create the environment of like, okay, you know, you've got a problem you're solving, 
have you got time to explore everyone's ideas yes you know so it's trying to get that balance right but i think it starts with like what kate mentioned there just being isn't it recognizing just to be humble um and then if everyone sees like kate dinesh or steve doing that like it's like oh it's okay to be humble and you know yeah it it feels like that's how the norm like we have a thing in our company now which is um um uh, we 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 don't ban dumb dumb questions. Everyone's allowed to yeah. ask dumb questions, no matter no who they are. No such thing as a dumb question. No such thing as a dumb <laughs> question, basically. And because that is what um, sometimes um, it, it can go both ways. A, a dumb question could completely like like give you a light bulb moment, and you go, yeah. "This is something we just have not considered." Um, you know, or it's a whole new insight. It, the other the other the other benefit it can also have is that. Someone is asking that because there's there's a gap there. There's some understanding, or there's some uh, something they they haven't quite grasped. And by go, by indulging that, by explaining that, I think you you also work through um, your own reasoning about about why why things are the way they are, and that helps you. I mean, it, so then the answer isn't just it is because it is. <laughs> you know, there's there's an actual reason which you can take back to an actual business need or a you know customer yeah. need or um, or whatever, you know. So uh, I think, yeah, I think trust. Um, that's a it's a really good way to summarize it. Definitely trust and safety. Agree with that. Brilliant. And um, one concept I know my director always brings up is like he always tries to understand why do we do that again? Mm. Like why was that process there? Like because as soon as it's not relevant, he just he rips it up and he's like, right, go away. Let's come up with the next, you know, that concept or process or idea or, you know, do we need that anymore? Do you know? That's great. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a good little approach. One one of these points you made then, I think is really interesting as well. Um, so dealing with the FUD when legends... Move on. Yeah, so um, fear, uncertainty, doubt. Um, what happens okay. when, like, because because you obviously have, uh, this This is maybe maybe a little bit further on, you know, you've had some challenges come in they've settled in they've understood reasoning the legend still remains a legend they're not <laughs> their place <laughs> has not been threatened if you will you know yeah. um things are moving along but this this absolutely valuable human being has now decided that they they want to they want a new challenge um and they want to move on um so you know what can we do <laughs> to make sure that we don't have these single points of failure if you will or or someone that is uh, you know it may it may just be an uh an impression of that it, it it may be actually fine you know you've built a team and they'll be okay but sometimes they just feel like they've relied on the knowledge of someone incumbent for so long that oh what's going to happen if they move on you know what happens if we get a you know priority one issue or a or, or, or in that particular area of the code that, you know, I haven't visited very much, you know. So, like, um, what, like I, I think, you know, what, what are some things that we could do early on to try to, you know, settle that a bit, I think, you know, because I, I, think, I think you want a calm, you want a functioning, you want a, a performative team where if they can enter flow state, the more, the better for, for everyone, really. Um, and, you know, it's the sort of panic and uncertainty that takes you out of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that first, you know, we should always, you know, we don't own the people or we or, or the companies we work Of course, for. yeah. And they, at one certain point, they, they'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> it may be tomorrow, it may be five years from now, 
yeah. unfortunately, this reality and the last year has been terrible uh, with that. Um, now, um, I think, you know, what you're actually identifying is one, but this is another such a big challenge for leadership, scanning or not scanning is the knowledge sharing. Mm. Yeah. And scaling just make it more complicated. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. the communication actually grows exponentially with the number of people you're at with your org. Yes. And also within time, you know, actually say legacy systems and so on. It just, you know, you know, it gets harder to document. In zero today, we use, you know, the Google Suite and we have Confluence. And since COVID, Miro became a place where people actually throw their, you know, uh, thoughts and, and, and describe stuff. And you have Figma and, uh, you know, probably very few more that I didn't list here. It's it's a nightmare. And yeah. we're all the time trying to consolidate and have some ground rules. It's really tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, we try to embrace more culture. You know, within engineering, it's easier, you know, of pairing. Mm. Because when you constantly pair, um, the knowledge is like more spread across. Mm. Besides other benefits, you know, such a quality and so. And we use pairing also for non-engineering things. So yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. You still may be in a problem if both people leave. <laughs> it's like reducing the, uh, the risk <laughs> a bit. Um, but it's it's a great challenge, sharing the knowledge, documenting it. Yep. And look, be mindful. I know, for example, I just heard you know a few months ago a story about, I think, NEB Bank or another bank here in Melbourne, where they actually cannot... They want to, they have a, a lease on a building that they cannot get rid of because they have a lot of servers down there in the basement where no one knows anything about the, the oh. Oh, wow. And they are afraid to turn it off and moving somewhere else because it might not work. Oh my God. Oh, wow. so, okay. And, and it's, it costs millions a year just to continue have that lease. Wow. Okay, so like this is a part of our world. And another thing is if you can get, as you move along, if you can get rid of legacy, even if just 10% a year, yep. I think it, it's, you know, you position yourself better for the future. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I, I think, I think um, when you're a small team, um, there's also, there's a very strong tendency to go, oh, this is your area. Um, you know this best, so you do this task. Or you know, um, this this you solve this problem, and I know this area best. I'll solve this problem, and you know, we just move on in that way. But I think we've got to make some conscious effort to mix things up a little bit, um, and just just and of course, you know, pairing is one of the best things ever. I think it's it's amazing how the, the insights that come out of a process like that. I, I don't think it has to be like 100% every single line of code that you write must be um you know uh, the result of pairing but um but definitely just that that cross-pollination of ideas is very important yeah i think it also kind of leads into like an, another element of culture and you know why people want to come to work is they kind of want to learn right and they want to be paired with someone who is going to give them something different to think about or a different way of solving something challenging some of their ideas in a safe way like a one-on-one or a small group kind of thing where you know you can talk about different things Try different things out, yeah. Uh, that sort of thing, and I think that kind of, um, you know, especially with those um, new, like those components that no one knows anything about. There's this fear, you know, fear of fear of failure or fear of not knowing what to do next, kind of thing. Yeah. If you can kind of break that down as well, um, then you know you can kind of 
the team kind of are less scared to look at stuff and because, I mean, it's just code, right, and it's been built, you don't know what it is, and even if you document it, it's kind of like it's it's good, it's really good to have documentation and, and we've got a fair bit, but then when you look at it, you're like, oh, there's five different versions. I don't know which one is <laughs> <you're wrong. laughs> What's happened? <laughs> so it's really hard to like, I'm like, I wish I could just talk to that person. They tell me in one second that this is what it is. And so, uh, you know, trying to yeah, break down that fear of fear of failure to, you know, fear of exploring the unknown as well a bit, I guess. So excellent points there, guys. And think, yeah, it just really comes back to like, whereas like cross collaboration, cross cross pollinization of ideas, the whole sort of, yeah, pairing and just like sharing of knowledge. Um, and another point, I know that's been a bit of a mental year when it came, comes to hiring and, mm. you know, it's the market in general, but a lot of the time, you know, people that um, are looking are looking for the knowledge gap between them and the teams that they're joining because, you know, they want to learn new things. Um, and an interesting point, a lot of the engineering managers that I recruit for as well, look for, you know, what can I learn from this person? So that is, it's really important. I think that there is, you know, just constant knowledge sharing um, and then gaps where, yeah, you can kind of pull someone into your expertise, but share that rather than going, oh, I'll just do it. Don't worry about it. And that just becomes your thing that you do. And then you'll never know, you know, this is this person's expertise. It's very hard to kind of, to grow and, um, like, yeah, then you're kind of left with that, the FUD. <laughs> um, I, think so, also, yeah. I think it's also important for like, just like building on the solution. So having, you know, multiple people talking about stuff and, you know, working with each other to kind of, to build, build out, you know, build on top of their ideas and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, the learning aspect is really important, but then it also, you end up in a better position because, you know, whatever it is, if you're looking at a brand new thing or if you're looking at legacy and how you're going to bring it out, uh, you come up with a much better solution as well because, you know, you've got people challenging different ideas or thinking different down different paths and stuff. So it's really important. Excellent. Brilliant. Okay. So I think this will move us on to um, the next topic. Um, or question, whichever way you kind of want to approach it, um, which is Kate's. Um, and you were looking at what changes need to be made to make the culture sustainable for a bigger company when scaling. So it's almost like we already kind of have the culture and, you know, your values, but then what? how do you make it sustainable? Um, mm. If you want to take that away, Kate. Yeah, sure. You know, um, so, you know, the the growth journey can be, a slow one or a fast one but sometimes yeah. you know you're you know i was in a point where okay i have a, t- a team of 10 and i have headcount to triple it yeah. and then you try to think okay what is it and and um very some you know varies like the more logistic stuff as to you try to map what are the roles that you need okay and then you start hiring and it's very much you know it's there's a lot of, you know, sometimes you know exactly what you want. It doesn't mean that you'll find it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes you find people that are more versatile or be different from what you have expected. And then today, I think another thing that factor that complicates it is that you go also sometimes globally or or at least, you know, not just in in your own region. Uh, and then the next is, okay, now that I, let's say we have these 30 people, um, well, they cannot, 10 people maybe can report to me, 30, it's not the same thing. 
What do we do about it? You know, what should hierarchy yeah. look like? Uh, how deep should this hierarchy be? Is it just let's have, you know, like two level, three levels, you know, you'll find. I, again, I don't think there's a one, you know, solution fits all here. Mm. I think it's a lot about both your personality. Sometimes it's about resourcing and uh, about, you know, uh, other constraints, you know, um, you know, you would, you know, some people are just, we don't want managers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, consider managers as someone who's not doing anything. Um, so yeah, I just want people who will do the work. Um, and so, but, and, and that people like, and you, you need to be mindful though, that when you grow, um, people, you know, may become, may have less room for innovation as they would have when you are a small team. Yeah. And might feel there might be everyone across the board on as a manager or a leader or as one of the individual contributors feel that they have less impact. And from culture-wise, how can we actually tackle that? What can we do? Um so and, and that is, you know, a lot of thinking about it, it isn't coupled with our values and what our novels done here, but also we probably need to set up some good processes. Where do we catch up? Are we agile or not agile? Uh, agile, do we, which ceremonies are involved so we can, what framework do we use so we can actually have messages going up and down? How can we actually provide that autonomy for our people? Um, assuming one would like to have one. I know a few people who are not, <laughs> you know, if you're a very control freak, you wouldn't like that. But uh, I think most it's it's more common in an industry that we value what autonomy can bring to everyone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm just thinking here, you know, you know, uh, really curious to hear your thoughts and your experience about it. Um, yeah, go on, go on. Sorry, you go Sorry, I, I was just, uh, that first point you made about uh, like the structure and stuff, we actually just went through that a little while ago and um, we kind of scaled pretty quickly. And uh, when I stepped into this role, there was no kind of managers. So there was like 30 people reporting to me and I didn't really know what I was doing anyway, but um, it was really challenging to go around and hear everybody's thoughts and make sure that everyone's happy and, you know, get, get like a, you know, closer relationship with everyone. Uh, and then when we kind of introduced uh, engineering managers, Everyone was like, oh, this is like becoming a hierarchy and, you know, I'm not, and, but, you know, the change has just been really, really good because now people have someone to talk to that, you know, they have a lot of time for and, you know, if they have needs for whatever, then they can kind of hear them out and, you know, we kind of focus on what are we going to do next to, to make their lives better and who's got problems in, you know, different areas. People have personal issues or personal things that, that's going on or, you know, something not working quite right. And it's really important to just stay on top of that. And, you know, having the right structure is so important. Uh, even if it feels like we're moving into, you know, hierarchy or whatever, which a lot of people, especially in a startup, you don't really want to go there. Uh, but, it, but it is pretty important uh, from my point of view. And it really had a good effect uh, with us. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Steve. Um, I, I, I think... The, the the depth of a hierarchy can can complicate things definitely so the flatter you we can keep it like i think obviously there's there's an optimal size for a cross-functional um performative team um 
but if we can keep it flat in the sense that um, we can we can grow wider rather than deeper, um, I think there's benefits to that in general. Uh, obviously, it's going to depend on a sort of case by case scenario, but there's generally benefits there because um, it also kind of proves to you that you've got an architecture where you have been able to spread outwards and create pockets um where where teams can be can have autonomy can have um you know impact and and they're not going to keep running into into each other or stepping on toes and things like that mm -hmm. so i think um in that process of designing the organization it's, it's kind of important to try to involve um architects or even if there are no formal architects in the mm -hmm. organization then sort of senior technical individual contributors who can um who can you know, talk to that. Um, I, I think that sort of helps a fair bit. And I definitely agree that there is a role to play for engineering managers. I mean, you know, it's, uh, and that can be one of these things that sort of feels like you're losing your culture because you're in instituting, you know, managers. But I, you know, I, I think the important thing is to is to, to, to view managers in a different light. Like, we, yeah. you know, maybe it's just about articulating what it is that managers do and and the value that they bring to an organization um, perhaps a different title so that people don't feel like we're, being managed. <laughs> we're still flat and we're still like yeah. start up and agile I, yeah one of the things one of my it sort of reminds me of one thing that i mean obviously um at, at rockta had a at a bigger sort of organization um certainly not at the scale that you're probably talking about kate but um still uh, you know a few few teams and um one of the as you're sort of restructuring um it also sort of throws things up in the air and and i felt found that engineers felt insecure as to wh who they were going to work with um how you know what does it mean for the for the change of their environment um mm. and it was like okay let's make this let's democratize this process a little bit even just for an exercise and we had this sort of self-selection exercise where um management kind of created i suppose some of the guardrails and say look these are the problems we need to solve um uh these are these are our sort of goals and our objectives um you group of people um and, and we have we have a we have these couple of sort of people leaders these, these managers you you this the stuff what how how do you think you want to organize yourself and we kind of just went through this sort of half day exercise and people kind of mm -hmm. worked, worked through some of the same things that uh, an engineering manager might work through and like the result came out not too different to what huh. the mm -hmm. engineering managers are kind of thought mm -hmm. that okay well this is probably a good organization but but i think it was just great to involve the team and yeah kind of, yeah bed, bed by itself actually say something about your culture the fact that you could, you did that self-selection. Another yeah. thing that I like to do when we are in process of recruiting leaders, we engage people that are going to report to that leader in the process mm. in the interview. Yes. So they actually they have a buy-in. So you know to ensure like good match. That's that that's a great point. Yeah. And also empower the team to say, hey, we're a part of this process. It's not like someone decided that I'm going to have this leader. Yep. But uh, your self-select, you doing self-selection process is actually okay. Saying this is my the, one of the values of my culture. 
Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of in, in involving um, someone who will be reporting to the manager in the interview process. That's that's pretty cool too. I, I have seen that done as well. And it, it sort of um, at, at sometimes an engineer might feel a little bit intimidated, intimidated, um, you know, uh, in, interviewing their prospective kind of boss. But I, but I think an engineering manager is not necessarily like you know uh, sort of. The person that 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 determines their entire future, if you like, they're they're there yeah. to facilitate their growth, um, and you know sometimes engineers t really take that uh, really well and you know have some valuable insights. Yeah, I think it's actually a really interesting concept, and the point there you made, like facilitating growth, like it's definitely a mindset, isn't it? And it depends on what culture or experience that you've had um, with the title. Yeah. Of manager throughout your career being a manager or having different types of managers um but yeah i think if you recognize that they're a person there to facilitate you help you grow and recognize you know they can they have more knowledge or you can give them knowledge like it's just it's definitely a mindset i think mm -hmm. but that will actually create the mindset that yeah these are just these are people as well like they're not just a manager who's gonna like tell you what to do and dictate you know your career yeah. but yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. I've actually seen that a lot. Um, companies I've worked with that, you know, senior devs or even junior de developers interviewing senior devs um, mm. more recently, which was great. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a great point. Um, and I didn't realize that you'd done that, Dinesh, before, um, you know, that kind of allowing the engineers to decide what's going to happen. But it's actually they've made the decision, but it's actually is in line with the managers. So. Yeah, I think it just sort of um, um, allows the engineers themselves to see the same kind of constraints that managers are working yeah. with. And you can't, you just, there is no such thing as a perfect team that you could form. And, you know, you've got to, you've got to look at, you've got to balance out various requirements. So. Amazing. Okay. Any other points around um, Kate's subtopic there? It's a really interesting one. Um I think we touched on, yeah, the hierarchy. It's always like a word that like, I think when you start to use that in startups, people are like, oh, should we use it? But it is really important. Like you said, it's, mm -hmm. you know, like, it, it helps people. Um, making roles and responsibilities. Um, I think we've covered everything. But any, yeah. any other points that you'd like to add there, oh, guys? I, I think one thing I could add is it's, 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 be amaz it's amazing to be able to grow people um, that, rather than always hiring. I mean, of course, you need new, new leaders coming into the organization, but growing leaders just creates a proof of um you know that 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 people are growing with with the organization um mm -hmm. and so i think it, it, where there's an opportunity to do that it's important to, to take that up i think brilliant okay um on to the final subtopic which is steve's subtopic you had you came with a couple of questions and then like the the touch points around you know implementing collaboration learning and trust as you scale um, but if you want to talk about that, um, the journey you're, you're going on or any questions you have um, yeah. around collaboration, learning and trust. Yeah, Great sure. Points. Yeah, so we've, we've touched on a few of those um, already, but, you know, it really kind of uh, got me questioning, you know, what, what is this culture thing? And uh, I guess something that we kind of touched on a little bit was uh, around trust. And, yeah. you know, especially as you kind of scale, um, you know, it's really, really important to kind of 
uh, if you want to have empowered teams, if you want to have teams that are autonomous, you know, that can make decisions as a as a group, and you don't have to, you know, tell everyone what, what what's going to happen or how it's going to be, uh, then you really need to have trust, and and that's quite a hard thing to have, uh, especially when stuff goes wrong. It might take a little bit longer than expected. People are getting a bit nervous because they're like, "Where is this thing? Or we got to measure it?" And you're like, "No, no, you have to trust that it's going to yeah. go okay." Um, yes. And as as you kind of scale with more people, it's quite hard to trust new people because you don't know them, right? And you don't know if they're going to, especially with this remote working situation people are very you know you don't know what they do and you don't you know just putting blind trust in is is a really hard thing but I guess you have to trust that you've got enough trust in your team that they will tell you when something is wrong or you know can come back and you know as you scale the people that come on uh, can kind of fit into that culture and I think people appreciate that right so the engineers really appreciate that oh hey you want me to make a decision that's really you know I love working here and I think that really drives that culture of uh you know owning this thing and really being like a, a distributed ownership not a i just work for this guy and mm. i come in to to do this task but um you know and, and that's really important if we want to make a really kind of successful uh, kind yeah. of business because you know it's all about the people like we spoke about before so it's kind of all, all related i think yeah uh, pretty important. i think ownership is such a key word there like Absolutely. that is super, I mean, every organization that I've worked in, um, ownership has been key. Like who, do you feel personally connected to the work that you're doing and, and, and the, mm. the thing that you're producing. Um, and I like that, that, that creates that, that, that just brings out creativity in people and, you know, a, a willingness to, to sort of collaborate, um, work on a problem and just satisfaction in, in, in what you're doing in, in a role. So, you know, building that ownership is, is great. And I think the key there is, um, having the safety to fail sometimes, you know, yeah. um, yeah, look, it's like, you know, what you're saying, Steve, and also you, Dinesh, um, you know, it's a lot, you know, uh, talked about in the five dis- dysfunctions of a team and, uh, you know, that actually you need to be, to get the trust in order to later on get to the ownership. And I think that's a lot of work. And and like you know, um, I also in the in my past had many, not many, but a few cases where the trust was totally broken. Mm. And that's a lot of work to fix. But even when it's working well, we need to continue as leaders. We have to continue preserving it and nurturing mm. it. You know, it takes very little to break. Mm, uh, yes. And and we have to be role models for that, even when sometimes it's hard and someone is actually maybe, maybe at times we are ourselves not too confident, especially when we have new players and we have to rebuild stuff and, and they come with their own observations. Uh, we keep on, you know, be, we are being challenged and we need to still, we need to actually, uh, you know, uh, what we pitch for, we actually need to demonstrate, right? Yes. Uh, and and this is one of the things that, as a leader, we have to keep on, you know, um, uh, doing that and not, you know. And I think this is maybe one of the most important things we need to remember yeah. every morning <laughs> when we wake up. That this is, you know, we, we we this is like one of the main building blocks of of our work. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the point you mentioned there around when you lose trust, it's so hard to get that back because. There's always that thought in the back of your mind that, you know, this happened, why is it not going to happen again or something? And yeah. so keeping on that and just making sure that, you know, yeah. people feel like they are trusted is, yeah, really, really important. I, I guess you could sort of, um, you know, like the idea is to 
trust has also got to be backed up by um, setting setting up your team for success. Mm. So um, you're not you're not sort of leaving them in the deep end to 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 the extent that you can. Obviously, um, there's going to be challenges, but as much as you can support them, uh, and then if they fail, then it's 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 fine. It's you know they they tried and and um, uh, hopefully that doesn't cause trust to be broken. You, you know, I think it, it, it's got to be quite a quite an outlier of, of something happening for, for trust to break down, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, if you like set a process up where you're going to allow people to feel empowered, um, and make decisions that you have a safety net and that you kind of give the opportunities for things to go, you know, wrong or mistakes to happen and then to showcase it's okay. This is what happens when it happens. Then you, like how, how you, respond then that kind of how you get the trust isn't it and that consistency but as you grow yeah like Kate was saying it's it's hard to keep an eye on it isn't it like that you stick that you're you're being consistent around that process um so tricky (laughs) absolutely did that did that sort of um kind of touch on what what you were thinking of Steve or like did you know uh was there another component yeah 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 look I mean that um uh, like like um, ability to fail and stuff. I guess we just touch on that a little bit. And I think um, to what you just said, Sean, around um, it, you know, stuff happens and failure is definite. You're always going to fail. You just got to accept that, right? And I think it's how you react to that and how you learn from it. I think if you can learn from a failure and it doesn't happen again, fantastic. We can fail, and we're going to fail all the time. <laughs> and you know that should be a, a, an okay kind of thing. But it's really how we respond and how we kind of uh, learn from that and how we get to that next iteration of, um, you know, being better at what we do is really important. Yeah. Excellent. Amazing points there. What else would you like to talk about, talk, bring up around that, um, Steve? Like, uh, do you feel like we've touched enough on the collaboration and the learning um, as you scale as well or anything else you'd like to add? Um, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, that was pretty much all the stuff I had to go on. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, ha- sorry, apologies. It's always hard to be the third person because a lot of the stuff gets filtered <laughs> through. But I think, the, yeah, I think we all take away that probably the most important thing and the, the whole topic has been, has been trust, is, is trust mm. um, and then ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'd all agree. A big plus one for what Steve was saying about, you know, being, being ready for, you know, failures. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely. Probably- uh, like accepting failure isn't it amazing okay guys so I think um, we'll leave it there for now um, but I want to thank you all for joining me on the podcast and providing such interest and insights surrounding such a relevant topic today um, how to maintain engineering culture when growing at scale so thank you so much 